0: Hey, hey, this is Stacey Cradiville, and you're listening to the Cappuccino Mic Drop Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview with Cappuccino Spanish teacher and PD coordinator Liliana Klatt. You're going to love Liliana's word for 2022. I totally am stealing it. And she does a great job of explaining how MTSS and IB work together. And she also shared some really good ideas about how we could better recognize and celebrate our emerging multilingual students here at CAP. So here we go. Liliana, would you rather interpret at a live event or translate a letter?
1: I would have to choose to translate the letter because, you know, I would have more time. I could use my resources and I would just be able to be more thoughtful. Translating live is incredibly difficult and I have a lot of um, just... Wow. I'm just in awe of people who, who can do that and do that for work. I've done it a couple of times and it's, it's pretty intense. It's scary.
0: I bet that would be nerve wracking. Cause what if you like, don't know how to say something in the moment. They use some kind of jargon and I'm like, ah, uh, okay. No. <laughs> yeah. So with,
1: with the letter, I mean, there's, there's just so many more resources why it's just, you have to go with what you know.
0: You know, what really amazes me, I don't know if you've seen the videos of the people that um, interpret and do sign language at like music concerts and there's like a rapper and they're like jamming on the side, like moving super fast and all into it. Like that is impressive. And I wish I knew sign language just so I could do that.
1: <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. People do some really amazing
0: We're super excited to chat about your roles and all the things that you work on behind the scenes at CAP that people might not know about. But first, I want to know more about your teaching journey and how you became a teacher and ended up where we are. Yeah. So um, let's
1: see. I think um, I've kind of always known that I wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't really know where or what or anything. Um, so, I think I first started language classes actually when I was in college. We used to have a um, a group of students um, who would go out into the community and work with day laborers to try and teach um, English. And the lessons were garbage. They were absolute garbage because we were just a bunch of college kids. Who we're trying to do really great work, but we just we didn't have the the skills to actually do it. But what came out of it were these incredible relationships and, and just a, a deeper understanding of the issues that these day laborers were having. This was um, back in, uh, I'm sorry, down south in L.A. Um, so, you know, that really, that just opened up this other just realm of possibilities, adult learning and working with these, these marginalized um, communities. So from there, after I graduated, I became a substitute teacher in Oakland as a long-term Spanish substitute. And then I uh, taught there for two years. I took a year off because after those first two years, I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to do this anymore. So I took a, a year off and just kind of floated around for a while back down to L.A. Eventually, I came back up here and I started working with a company that did uh, classes, language classes for, for tiny little kids, like um, pre-K, like little babies. Right. So my youngest student was 18 months old. And then my class wanted to kids in um, like first or second grade, and I just taught at a variety of, you know, like community centers and after-school centers out in New Spain, and then from there, I started working part-time at Burlingame. I decided to try high school one more time, so I worked um, part-time at Burlingame, and I was there for um, six years, I think, um, and uh, and then I came to Capuchino. I've been there since
0: that's awesome. It sounds like you've had a lot of different experiences and glad that all roads led you here because now you're doing so much in education. I can't believe that you doubted your career choice at all because you're that's so in it now. I'm right very in it. And it's
1: and it, it just goes to show that we really, and that's the philosophy that I bring to the classroom too, you have to give things a second chance because you never know, Right. Don't, if if it doesn't work the second time, then fine, that's fine but at least give it that second chance because you never know how it's
0: going to turn out. Absolutely. That's really great advice. And I'm glad that you had that experience, actually, so that you could share that with other people. So tell us, what is a PD coordinator and what types of things do you
1: do? So as as PD coordinator, I have to, in a sense, the role is to be sort of the linchpin. And it it varies in every school because there are just different things going on at every school. But here at Cappuccino, it's it's basically the, the linchpin that holds together or that connects, rather, our uh, IB-TOSA, our MTSS-TOSA, our PD-TOSA, and our uh, educational, our tech-TOSA. We, uh, everybody has their own roles, but when we have big professional development for anything, it all kind of funnels through PD. I feel like my role is trying to stay afloat of what's happening in these different areas, and trying to make connections and to simplify. That's my word this year. And I really want to make sure that everything is as simple as a line as possible so that when we have PD, that it just seems streamlined and connected to everything else. There's places for us to be repetitive and redundant, but I feel like PD and teacher training time is not the time to do that. I think we really need to be as effective and as efficient as possible. So what I want is to know as much as I can about these different uh, areas and then make the tightest connections possible so that we don't have to feel like we're doing more and more and more things. I, I want us to feel like we're doing the same thing better and better and better. And we're doing the same thing more thoroughly. So that, that's what I feel my, my role is as Um, So right now we're just working on developing the the tasks and activities that we're going to do for the rest of the semester that align with all of the work that we're doing through uh, the district with trust and sphere.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. That is a lot, especially when teachers are already burnt out and we're like at our last little bit of energy. And then we have PD and professional development to worry about. So simplify, I think is the perfect word for you for this year. It's a good word for all of us, but I appreciate you trying to make things that are super complex as simple as possible. Cause that does help us all make connections and make Professional development seem more relevant and worthwhile, right? When we're when we're tired and don't really have the energy, like how do you get yourself to carry on? Like, you have to make those connections and make it feel important in the classroom, um, and that's got to be super hard across all the content areas for you to know what everyone's doing and what they need at all times.
1: Yes, and I think the I think what makes that part most difficult is that we have been working in silos forever right? We don't know what everyone else is doing. And it's really difficult for us to really leverage the work that we do because we are very disconnected. And, and, you know, we have decided that we're going to be an IV school, but there are still some places where it's a challenge to know how that's playing out. It's a challenge to see how we can, you know, make, make some areas more IV and how we can get more buy-in from, uh, from, you know, everybody involved. So, um, I think that the, it is challenging to make sure that what we do relates to what everybody has, uh, the experience that every, the experiences that everyone has in their own classrooms. But it's also, I think the, the real need is for us to work together more so that we can see what we're doing all the time. And then we can leverage and we don't have to guess or assume or, you know, spend extra time trying to figure out how we can do these things. The more that we align, the more that we collaborate, the more that we can work in a way that's interdisciplinary, then the easier that this this job is going to become. If we all work together on this, then the lift becomes a lot easier. We have to change. We're still working on changing some of that culture of silos and being separate from
0: everybody else. How do you think we could do that? Well, I think... We,
1: we need to um, spend more time working in cross-curricular teams and, and looking at and, and sharing. We need to have more space for sharing and more space for reflecting. Doing all of this work with trust is a fear. Reading a little bit more about the, the kinds of things that they do. I feel like we have very often, what's the expression? We put the cart before the horse and we try to find a solution for a problem that, that we think is there but may, may not actually be there. So I think we need to do more listening and more exploring about what is happening so that we make sure that whatever we choose to do about it fits, right? That whatever we choose to do actually fulfills the need of the real need that we have versus the perceived need that we have. And I think, I think we've been doing that for a while that we say, oh, yeah, we, we have you know X issue. So, okay, here's a solution, right? And that happens, you know, from the district level too, right? Instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to just take a step back, slow down and listen. Let's see what's out there first. Let's see what the people involved are saying. And then we can address what's actually coming up as opposed to, like I said before, making assumptions. And then we end up wasting time because what we're trying to do doesn't fully, doesn't fully work.
0: It is important to kind of figure out through listening, like what, is the real problem that we're trying to get at. And I think that is a lot of our work right now with the anti-racist transformation that you're mentioning with Tress and Safir. For anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, it's two contractors that our district has hired that we're we're going through this anti-racist community transformation to become more equitable. Um, they're leading some of our PD and and we're kind of putting the, the cappuccino twist on some things, but they're leading other parts of that. So, you said that we need to align and collaborate and do more interdisciplinary stuff. And how do you think we could do that around the idea of equity? Because that is something that we are all working on together. But how can we align our equity goals?
1: Well, I think that um, it starts by making sure that whatever we choose to do has staying power, right? We oftentimes try on these kind of one and done sort of um, systems, right? Oh, well, let's bring in this this system or we're going to do this framework and we're going to try this new thing, right? And it's always, oh, let's try this new thing. Let's try this new thing. And so every year we have a new initiative, a new initiative. So instead of, instead of doing that, we need to, like I said before, we need to listen. We need to really see what's there. And then we need to go through our IB program and make sure that whatever we bring in, whatever we do, is filtered through IB, because that's the program that's been here for the longest amount of time. It's the one that hasn't changed or gone away. It's the one that's actually grown. It's the one that we have all been working to make flourish on our campus. And so I think it's really important that uh, we use IB as our tool for equity, because that's the one that has the resources, the staying power and the tools for us to to make this work you know it's very easy to let's let's go online and research a new you know framework let's go and and purchase this new system right but we have done those things in the past and they last a year or two and then they kind of fizzle out and go away the thing that has not is id so we need to make sure that that is what we use how can we better use id as a tool for equity and to make sure that students have access to the best that we have to offer that all students access to the best. So we we need to keep going back to we are an IB school and whatever it is that we bring in has to be attached to IB, it has to be related to IB because that's going to help it stick. That's what's going to help it stay here. Unlike everything else, it kind of just fades away eventually.
0: I'm glad that you're putting so much thought into planning everything that we do to filter it through IB so that everything has that purpose and that we're using IB as a tool for equity. I think that's really, really important and really useful. I know you're also part of the MTSS tier one team. Can you talk about how MTSS and IB and all of that is connected? Yeah. So um, I guess, well, MTSS is the,
1: big complex system that we're using district-wide or statewide. It's multi-tiered system of supports and the work that I do is with tier one, which means all teachers, all students, all adults all the time. In that group, we're trying to make some of these changes that can impact the experiences of all students on campus and we want, it's, it's very much an all-hands-on-deck approach. So this year, you know, because of the pandemic and COVID and everything, I feel like that that work has kind of been a little bit more delayed. But the, the goal is for um, MTSS Tier 1 to be a group of teachers, you know, I'm sorry, a, a classroom teachers, out-of-classroom teachers, students, and parents, and they look at the issues that come up on campus and make decisions about how to, how to work on that, how to make things more equitable for, for students. So right now we have uh, maybe about 10 teachers on the team and a few classified people, and we're working on bringing in some students this semester. And we're going to be using the MTSS space to look at this, the data that we've been gathering as a whole school in the form of our empathy interviews, and then in different data sets that we've been collecting along the way. The way that MTSS and PD work together is that MTSS is the body that will go out and listen to the community and process this listen to get an understanding of what's happening in cappuccino develop uh what's called the current state story right the 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 story of what the current situation is here what the current state of cappuccino is and then come up with an an equity imperative something that we are going to something that is, that is significant enough for us to all work towards. So all of these stakeholders collaborate together to co-construct a plan, and then the role of PD then would be to help roll out the plan and evaluate that. And the plan can be, you know, uh, th- there's really no way of telling what the plan could be because we don't know what the issues are, right? We haven't uncovered what, what the student experience is here, so we can't really plan for what we don't know exists. You know, we're, we're still at the very beginning stages of this, but but it's it's really interesting work. It's slow, just slow work, but it's really interesting. And getting to hear what the students say is surprising. It's very surprising because whenever I talk to a student, uh, when I'm collecting data about anything, you know, some students are very, they say the things that I would expect for them to say. But with the empathy interviews, I feel like, you know, I really got something that I was not expecting to hear, and I think that some of the other people who were in the room with me, uh, because my interview was the one that we did in the fish bowls um, on last semester, I feel like other people in the room were surprised about what they heard as well. And so, you know, it's these surprises that 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 help guide us because they uncover things that we just had no idea were there. Anyway, so. MTSS and PD have to work really closely together. At some other schools, the MTSS and PD person is the same person because they they have to go hand in hand. There's no way that we do that. We could have a, a great plan, but then have you know no connection with the person who's going to be helping to coordinate and execute the plan, and vice versa, right? as a PD person, I wouldn't do a good job with PD if I wasn't involved in MTSS.
0: Yeah. I. It's great that you and Dan Wex are working together on marrying all of that stuff together. And I know that you also collaborate often with Marty to make sure the IB lens is there as well. And that we're all kind of aligned with, with all of these initiatives. What is something that that departments or PLCs could do on their own, maybe to kind of help bring all of these things together or just kind of further their professional development?
1: I think that um, it's really important to be fully engaged in the work. I think that probably the most important thing is to be be open-minded, and to, to be a good listener and to be a good communicator. I think we really need to be open-minded about this process that we're going through with Shakespeare and Joe Trust. It's challenging. It's really challenging work, but I think that it can lead us to a better understanding of who we are, the baggage that we bring with us when we enter the classroom, how we interact with our, with our how that affects how we interact with our students. So I think just being open to um, to learning about this stuff even when it's very difficult and to then being open to participating and joining in even when it might be uncomfortable. I, I don't think that the PD that we do here at Cap is really, is, is uncomfortable. I don't think that' that's, that's what we that's what we're aiming for. but I know that some, some of the work that we're doing at the district level certainly can push people into places that are not that are not in their, in their comfort zone. So I would say definitely we need to push ourselves so that we can, so that we can really learn about who, who we are and what we bring with us. And then, you know, outside of that, I would say that when you get the opportunity to learn, when Marty puts out there an opportunity to go to an IB training, absolutely take that opportunity, right? Because even if you as a teacher, even if a teacher is not um, currently teaching an IV named course or is, or will be teaching an IV-named course in the future, having the foundation of what that, what, what being an IV teacher means um, in each discipline will guide the work that we do, right? And it will help, it will help teachers to see the connections and how their discipline connects to the other disciplines at the school. Because it's really important to know that, you know, the AP program, those are all silos, Right. You don't need to know anything that's happening in the humanities in order to well to, to do well in the sciences and so on and so forth, right? But the IB program does not work that way. It's it's a it's it's a it's a full package. So um, in order to do well on our exams, you need to do well in the other exams as well. In order to do well in my class, you need to be able to do well in some of the other classes as well. And students, when we when we learn more deeply about our individual courses, we can more easily make connections to these other to these other courses as well. So yeah, I guess those are, those would be the two things: open-minded, and then learn about the IB program and about what it means for you to be an IB teacher in your discipline. And again, that's you know level one freshman. It doesn't mean that you have to wait um, until you're teaching the juniors and seniors. Uh, That can definitely
0: be everybody. That made me think of a question for you as a Spanish teacher, if you could put on your other hat (laughs) for a moment. It it came up a few months ago, some issues in a a class of mine and um, just a divide between the native English speakers and the non-native English speakers. And because we're an IB school, we're we're supposed to be a world IB, world-recognized school, that has an emphasis on being multilingual. How can we celebrate and recognize our bi or multilingual students and make that more of a thing here? Do you have ideas for how we could all kind of chime in and, and really celebrate those students, either schoolwide or something that like a classroom teacher could do just to recognize those kids?
1: Well, I, I guess something that that um, that I do in. This is in, in my classes that are mixed. That, actually, no, it's my classes that are mostly um, non-Spanish speakers. Even though some students don't speak Spanish, they may speak other languages, right? And so when we have new vocabulary up on the wall or, you know, we're, we're just learning our new vocab, I ask them if any of those words look familiar in other languages they may speak, right? And so we recognize similarities and cognates. We look, we're always, that's our bread and butter world language. We're always looking for cognates, like... Doctor and doctor, right? So they're so similar in both languages that you automatically know what the word means. Well, Spanish has so many different influences that I want them to see what those are. Even if students only speak English, like we still need to make those connections with the cognates. You know, I'm not sure if that would be helpful in other classes, but it's something that happens um, a lot. I'd in world languages in general, but, but I also like to ask them, well, does anybody speak um, Arabic? Does anybody speak Portuguese? Does anybody speak any other languages? And in those languages, do you see any of these words? Do these words sound familiar to you from there? And making those connections with the home languages. of the kids. And it doesn't really take a long time. I wouldn't even call it a strategy. It's just as, we're, as we are exploring these new words, we're just making these other connections with other things. And, and I guess the other thing is uh, we need to make more visible the fact that there are students from lots of other cultures on campus I know that we have to go beyond just the, what is it, the flags, food, and festivals. I know that we have to go beyond just those things. But, um, but when we don't have those things, that's, that's the low-hanging fruit with which we can start. When we are able to do more rallies again, when we're able to do more, more big events. One of the things that I absolutely loved was, you know, seeing the poly Club dancing, seeing the, the uh, Pauplorico group out there dancing, seeing all of these different groups, present something that was significant for them or represented them. And just, you know, knowing that that's around makes a difference. So I think it's really important for us to support those student groups that give kids those places to connect with their culture on campus and for them to make that culture visible. And, uh, you know, obviously it's tough right now with the pandemic, but Hopefully we'll be able to return to that soon.
0: I think even, you know, without doing the big school-wide festivals and rallies and performances, I think that could be an opportunity for classroom teachers to offer options for students to show their culture through other assignments and choice boards and other activities and just tying in more culture-related things might be the the missing puzzle piece there. What is the best mic-dropping teacher advice that's ever been given to you? I was
1: a first-year teacher, actually, no, it was after I had finished my first year's long-term sub, so a, a teacher at the school where I worked had been there for, I don't know, 35 or 40 years, and it was his retirement dinner. At the end of his, his dinner, there were speeches, and his speech, I will always remember, he said, don't try to change everything at once. Every year, you change one thing, and then you try to get that thing to go as smoothly as possible. And you focus on just that one thing that entire year, right? And then at the end of that year, you reassess, did it work the way that you wanted to? Okay, change one different thing. And then you keep going. And so that's always really stuck to me. And that's kind of the philosophy that I have right now, too. The one thing that we're trying to do well is to be IV. That's it. All roads back, lead back to Ivy. and so that—that that was, um, you know. Oh, and he said at the very end, I believe it was 35 years of getting teaching. And he says at the end, so now I'm about to retire, and I changed 35 things. That was like that's amazing. That's
0: I love your word of simplify. I think I might need to copy you and steal that as my word for 22. So that's really, really good advice to just simplify and change one thing at a time. So thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing some behind the scenes about what you do as our professional development coordinator, and just kind of keeping everyone rowing the boat in the same direction as an IB school, which is difficult, but you're doing a great job. Thank you, and it's so it's all awesome work.
1: It's a lot of work, but there are perks, and one of the big perks is I get to work with you get to work with Dan, I get to work with Marty, you know, and it's just, it's an amazing people. You know, our PD team is, is really awesome.
0: We are doing awesome stuff. Yay us. <laughs> thank you all for listening today. And thank you, Liliana. I'll talk to you soon. Adios. Thank you so much, Liliana. I hope everyone goes out there and tries to simplify their life this week and have a good one. Oh, be sure to check the show notes for more resources. Have a good day.